0: This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. We're starting something new with Radio Stockdale. For those of you who've been listening for a while, you know we talk about leadership, ethics, character, and the law especially when it comes to young leaders. Well, we're pivoting as of today. We'll still talk about leadership, ethics, character, and the law, but we'll talk about those ideas at the intersection of artificial intelligence. AI is here, and it affects us as leaders of character. So, for the next several months, it's going to be all about AI at the intersection of leadership, character, ethics, education, and the law. We have a guest who has been with us several times before, Dr. Jovana Davidovich. She is an associate professor at the University of Iowa, and she is also a senior fellow at the Stockdale Center. Dr. Davidovich's research includes social and political philosophy, applied ethics, philosophy of law, military ethics, AI, and algorithmic ethics. You're the chief ethics officer for Babel AI a consultancy that focuses on ethical risk assessment and auditing of AI and algorithms. Her recent work is focused on AI and algorithmic ethics in military settings, and she is a perfect person to talk about AI and education on Radio Stockdale. Welcome, Giovanna.
1: Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me back.
0: It's good to have you back. We're going to hit the sweet spot of what you're doing right now. And what we're trying to do is talk about how Artificial intelligence intersects with education. Let me just jump in real quickly because there's so much buzz about AI. What I want to ask you first is this concept of personalized learning. What does that mean and how can AI assist in personalized learning?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. So personalized learning or adaptive learning uh, can present personalized content at a personalized pace. And it can sort of present the information to a student in a way that can allow them to engage at a speed and in a way that best suits their needs. And so, you know, we know that learners come from diverse backgrounds, right? So they some have, you know, we all have unique problems, we all have unique strengths. And so, what personalized learning does is it enables a student to basically learn at their own speed. And in addition to the fact that this is, I hope, obviously better for a student because it can, again, sort of keep up with your speed, it can keep up with the sort of presentations of the content that you need. It can also really increase student engagement uh, and sort of minimize student disengagement. And in some cases, depending on how the system is built, it can also give professors some sort of feedback about how students are learning. I should point out that personalized learning of that type has been around sort of adaptive learning for a long time. It's just that, you know, this is the examples include you answer a question, and then if you answer it poorly or you don't answer it correctly, you get an easier question. And if you uh, answer it correctly, you get, you know, harder question of the same type. But of course, the systems enabled by AI are getting more sophisticated. And they can pick up on different types of learning, visual versus auditory, different types of concept presentations. They can really suit an individual learner
0: well. So as I was growing up, I discovered um, that I'm dyslexic. For instance, um, how does how does AI help student and or a teacher understand that? Because quite frankly, I didn't understand that until I was in graduate school.
1: Yeah, so AI could, for example, track. Uh, Where you're having problems, it might, for example, depending on what sort of a system it is, uh, notice that you are uh, having problems with reading certain words or that you're reading slower or that you're making similar types of mistakes that other people who are dyslexic make in answering certain questions. And so that's one possible way that AI can just, using big data, using you know the sort of struggles that other dyslexic people have had in the past, recognize more quickly young learners who are dyslexic
0: let me go to this concept of tutoring systems, intelligent tutoring systems. Are they different than personalized learning?
1: They're different to some extent. Uh, They're also adaptive. and They're actually very often more adaptive, as in they respond to the way you learn. They can assess your understanding of the material. They can assist with homework. They can provide real-time feedback. They can come up with practice problems for you and test preparation. I mean, they're exactly what they sound like. They are tutoring systems. They're intelligent that are sort of also unique to you very often, respond to your needs and can offer you know, both an analysis of what you understand and what you may be struggling with, but also then offer targeted explanations or targeted examples. This can take very simple forms like there's universities all around the world. For example, there's a university in Spain, University of Murcia, that uses AI chatbots that can act in lieu of office hours or I should say in addition to office hours. So if students have questions, and they don't understand certain concepts, and maybe the professor's office hours are not until Friday, you can use these sorts of chatbots and ask questions. And in fact, you know, chat, chat GPT, large language models, are excellent examples of the sorts of things that can power and or just directly be used as tutoring systems. I have team members uh, in Babel, the ethics of AI company that I work with. Uh, I have team members who've learned all about, interestingly enough, generative AI by asking ChatGPT to give them examples. And when the examples didn't work for them, to give them simpler examples. And when they were confused about a concept, they said things like, hey, last time you, ChatGPT, told me this. How does that jive with this thing you just told me? And so through a form of, I guess, inverse Socratic method, I have colleagues, you know, professors who've learned whole new fields via using systems like ChatGPT, or you can use other intelligent tutoring systems, of course.
0: Okay. So you're bringing up professors, faculty, staff, and, and, and how AI can actually affect leverage, actually assist what they're doing. Let's talk about uh, integrated grading or automated grading systems and the feedback that the teachers get for their workflow. Can you talk about that a little bit and the, the, the pluses and minuses of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, AI can automate the grading process. We all know, all of us who teach know how much, how more helpful it would be If we or when we have TAs or in this case AI enabled TAs, teaching assistants who can you know grade assignments, grade assessment, they can save valuable time for professors to maybe provide more tutoring to students or do other sorts of meaningful uh, teaching engagement. Another nice so you can save time to the professors, but another nice thing is it can also provide instant feedback. Any one of us who have thought know how much students often want to get you know, their grades immediately. Now, part of it is they just want to get their grade immediately. But the other part of that is they want feedback so they can learn from it now. You know, sometimes it takes us, if we have 40 students, it takes us a week or two to grade an exam. By then, we have moved on to different material. So providing instant feedback or quick feedback to students can really aid in them learning the concepts we are trying to study now, not getting sort of feedback two weeks from now when we moved on to different uh, material and so I think that's that's really important. I think here we have to just be careful what sorts of systems we use, right so some automated grading systems are built or empowered by large language models, and large language models sometimes so-called hallucinate they'll if they don't know an answer they'll they'll make it up <laughs> so in as much as some automated grading systems are powered by these robust large language models, we just have to make sure that they're good ones. Um, And then some older automated grading systems had some very basic ways of grading where they would look at, like, the number of words in a sentence or the complexity or how fancy the term is. And that can at times actually not track students' understanding of the concept, but maybe track their socioeconomic status or something like that or their background. And so... In as much as, for example, we want students to write discussion posts and we want those discussion posts to really be engaging, we want to make sure that the automated grading systems we're using are not just, you know, counting the number of words or the complexity of sentences, but are capable of truly engaging with what, whatever you're after as a professor. So let's say an understanding of the concept or ability to develop an example relative to a concept, whatever the assignment may be. So in short incredibly, these AI, you know, uh, grading systems, automated grading systems can be an incredibly powerful tool. We just have to make sure that we understand which one we're using, and then what its weaknesses or potential downsides might be.
0: So so it's like anything else, buyer beware. If you as yeah. faculty yeah. decide to use a certain data set, you've got to really make sure you, you understand where that's coming from. Absolutely. Let, let me ask you. Let, let's stay on that for a second. Talk a little bit about the fairness of that because I'd be concerned. You, you kind of mentioned that earlier. Is it fair? And I'm doing air quotes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have a machine, not the professor, not a teaching assistant, grade a paper.
1: I think it could be. I mean, I think it really. I think the key here is to just like everything else, think hard about you know what could be the downsides, and then make sure you mitigate those. So one of the do- downsides could be if Let's say ninety percent of what is graded is graded by a machine. Well, then any single problem that that machine has, let's say it's it's mildly biased or strongly biased, is going to propagate heavily, right? But if you are trying to let's say just engage students and you want the system to evaluate their discussion posts, so for example, I always have discussion posts in every one of my classes. I assign them every week, and to be honest. All I'm looking for is that you're engaging with the concept. There's no right or wrong answers. I have many other assignments where there's right or wrong answers and I assess quality. For discussion posts, all I'm looking for is that you are engaging with the material, that you are asking something interesting. And by and large, I give my students 100% if they're doing that and the post is long enough. So that sort of, a, that sort of a element of my grading can be replaced by an automated system. But think about what I'm losing, right? One of the things I'm losing is if I'm not reading these posts, I'm not seeing where my students might be struggling, right? And so there's, you know, ups and downs, benefits and downsides. I think when it comes to fairness, the key point is to make sure not to use automated grading for everything and to make sure that for your type of material, automated grading works. And for example, things like physics or math, for some math or physics problems where all you're looking for is the right answer, absolutely go for automated grading. If you're looking at math and physics and you want to see that the the, the, the student correctly did the work, you can also use some automated systems. that can check for that as well. But it, it, as it gets more complex and you're looking for more complex things, you probably want to still still today be grading yourself. In five or ten years' time, who knows? Uh, who knows how good these systems will be?
0: let me ask you this and i'm going to stay on this point for a second it really is about the prompt or the question that you set up to actually grade the paper and what i mean by that is it's it's prompt engineering you've got to be smart about how you use the system beyond just figuring out the data set
1: yeah i mean most of the most of the problems that ai has are not straightforwardly algorithmic problems they're sociotechnical problems they're problems about how you and i in this case as professors use the system. And so, yes, it's about the prompt we're using. It's about how much we're relying on automated grading and whether or not the automated grading is appropriate in that particular case. Again, if it's something like the example I gave, where all it's really looking for is that a student posted a discussion post and that engaged certain concepts or that a student did a math problem and that they came up with the right answer, it strikes me as you as a professor can feel confident in using that sort of an automated system. If our, if it's more complex things and the reason you as a professor are um, even engaging in these sorts of assignments is, for example, to identify students who are struggling, well, then you might want to use a different system or just do it yourself. So it's all about the prompts and it's all about how you decide to use and when you decide to use the system, the automated grading system.
0: Let's expand this a little bit and talk about labs or simulations and, and you know, when, when, as I was coming through, I'd be sitting in a chemistry lab and I'd have to mix two reagents and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That was that was time intensive. It was actually acid intensive, uh, and it might have even be dangerous if you if you do things <laughs> the wrong way at the wrong the wrong process and timing. How does AI help in labs or simulations?
1: Yeah, I think AI-driven virtual labs and simulations um, they can enable students to experiment and learn in, in very safe and controlled environments, and it can allow students to do it sort of over and over again. And I think, I hope it's obvious how valuable it is for students to be able to do an experiment many times and not run out of chemicals or not run out of examples of, you know, rolling balls down a hill or or whatever um, you have. Uh, A lot of places are already leveraging virtual labs and simulations for natural sciences. FAT in UC Boulder, that's uh, P-H-E-T, has lots of math and science simulations. Molecular Workbench um, has science and uh, interactive simulations. Lab exchange from Harvard um, has many math and science uh, simulations and virtual labs. I should point out all of these are open education resource, OER, and there's many, many, many others. I mean, all it takes is Googling OER virtual labs and simulations as a professor, to get access to many free resources for both high school teachers and university teachers to leverage these virtual labs and simulations. And I think we're doing really good in building these for natural sciences. I think one of the places where we could be leveraging virtual labs and simulations better is actually in humanities and social sciences, where we don't often do that. We don't often come up with virtual labs and virtual COA situations for, uh, you know, things like ethics or philosophy. But in fact, they can be really helpful. Fields like philosophy, where I'm a professor of philosophy, uh, relies so heavily on what we call hypothetical hypothetical examples, right? Or hypothetical experiments or thought experiments. Now imagine if we could, of course, put students into these thought experiments. We might be able to bring forth or make sense of concepts we're trying to teach so much better. And you know this, Mike, because you yourself and Stockdale build virtual sort of uh, ethical experiments that the thought experiments that and simulations that students can use to put themselves in the shoes of a leader who's trying to make a difficult moral decision. And so I think leveraging, uh, trying to leverage things like virtual labs and simulations, augmented reality and virtual reality to teach not only natural sciences, but also things like ethics, also things like leadership can be incredibly valuable. And in places like the Naval Academy, this can be even that much more important because I think the Naval Academy, I don't think the Naval Academy tries to not just build scholars and not just build warfighters, but build leaders, build people of character, and very often that requires not just teaching ethics and teaching leadership through some sort of you know, uh, theoretical and book reading. It requires having these, these young men and women internalize these concepts. And so imagine how valuable uh, an augmented reality or virtual reality lab for trying to test out or figure out how one would respond to a difficult moral situation or a difficult leadership question, how valuable they can be for those sorts of skills. So all of this is a roundabout way of saying, AI enabled you know, virtual labs and simulations, as well as augmented reality and virtual reality lab and simulations can be incredibly valuable for natural sciences. They're already paying dividends, the ones that have been built. And I think uh, it's about time uh, for us to start also thinking about how to leverage this for humanities and social sciences as well.
0: This is some really great stuff. Uh, There's a lot to talk about with artificial intelligence, especially artificial intelligence uh, in education. So, Yovana, thank you very much for being here, and we will do this again.
1: Thank you for having me, Mike.
0: You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.